Hi, I'm George Norrie, and welcome to the new iHeartMedia and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Like us on Facebook, tell your friends, and share us with everyone. This is an exciting new network that will feature podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained. Now please sit back and enjoy Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. For almost 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death. And so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. Albert Einstein once said, There are two ways to live your life. One, as if nothing is a miracle. The other is as if everything is a miracle. I don't know how old you are, but I'm 54 now, and I've spent most of my life living as nothing is a miracle. I bought into the myth that we had to see it to believe it. As a kid, I believed in magic and miracles. I truly thought anything was possible. Our parents play into this as well. With that, one night a year, a jolly fellow drops down our chimneys and delivers wonderful toys and goodies. When I lost a tooth, I'd just put it under my pillow, and I'd wake up the next morning and find a small toy or a coin. There were plenty of opportunities as a kid to believe in magic. Then, one day, everything changes. We grow up, and the magic ends. We learn life is hard work, and the world of miracles end. Until today, I want this episode to be the magic wand to help us all look at life, that everything is a miracle. Do you realize that the planet we call home started out being just dirt and rock and plants and water? Wherever you are right now, look at anything around you and wonder how that object came out of those four elements. Miracle. If you're listening to this on your cell phone, have you ever wondered how all those voices and musical instruments can come out of such a small device? Miracle. Electricity. Miracle. Running water. Miracle. Our human lives. Miracle. All we need is a little food and water and we can sustain life with intelligence for our lifetime. Miracle. If our iPads and cell phones and computers can pick up almost all the information in the world wirelessly from the cloud, miracle. Again, just from the basic elements Earth consists of, why would we think our minds, the supercomputers that created all of this, cannot tap into the cloud called loved ones in the afterlife? If energy is never destroyed, water changes to vapor, fire changes to heat, why would we think that we can be destroyed? Who are we anyways? With these minds that can think, create, love, laugh, and experience so much, you guessed it, miracles. Yes, there are billions of us human miracles. Let's not forget the plants, flowers, Animals and all the minuscule and invisible things, invisible to our eyes, but they're miracles that surround us. 
all of us hurling around a never-ending universe. Miracles. When it comes to the afterlife, we often think science and medicine don't believe in it. Think again. Today, I want to introduce you to a gentleman who has been a physician for almost 40 years, who wrote a book called Physicians Untold Stories. He and 26 other courageous physicians came together to write this one-of-a-kind book that includes near-death experiences, dreams, unexplained miraculous healings, and more. These stories are all true and cannot be explained by current-day medical school training. Dr. Scott Kolbaba, welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. Thanks, Sandra. It's great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. I feel like a little kid at Christmas, and I'm so grateful I get to speak with you today. It's fun. Where do we begin? Can I ask, what kind of doctor are you? Uh, I'm just an ordinary doc. I'm adult medicine, internal medicine. I've uh, been practicing here about 35 years, which is really hard to believe uh, since I'm still practicing. Once I get it right, I think I'll, I'll quit, but I'm still practicing. <laughs> and I love my practice. I love my patients. Uh, I've, I've, um, I've always wanted to be a doc, and I am, and, and uh, it's, a, it's a dream come true. But, you know, uh, I started to run into some interesting and strange experiences over the last few years, and uh, it got me thinking about uh, wondering if other doctors have these experiences, because doctors don't talk about these kinds of things. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, doctors don't talk about very much that's deep. They talk about uh, uh, patients. They talk about uh, you know the next uh, 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 patient that that we had together and so forth, but uh, not about some of these uh, deep spiritual kinds of things. And I was I was truly amazed when I started asking docs if they had any interesting experiences that they couldn't explain. With the, with the responses, and, and I, they, they became so amazing that I, I had to write them down. I'm so glad you did. I think doctors, as well as anybody, can have fears about sharing these things. I've had experience that I thought people would think I'm crazy, but once I did start to share the things that were happening to me, so many people said, that's happened to me too. Yeah, that, that happened to, to me on a number of occasions. As a matter of fact, we had one doctor that wanted to remain anonymous, um, and and not uh, you know be uh, uh, named in the book, and after the book came out and he saw the uh, response of people to the doctors that were in the book, he said, "I don't want to be anonymous anymore. <laughs> I want you to tell uh, tell people who who I am." And that I thought that was kind of funny. That is funny, Scott. Will you tell us some of your stories? I have your book, and I've seen the videos on your website, physiciansuntoldstories.com, and the stories filled me with goosebumps. Well, that that was one of my criteria for admission. I I heard I interviewed two hundred doctors and I heard lots and lots of stories. Wow! But I only included the ones that gave me goosebumps or made me tear up, not from from sadness, but just from emotion. Mm. And uh, it's funny that when I was writing the stories, I would frequently, you know, in the middle of the night when I, when I have my abundant leisure time, sometime between ten and one a.m., uh, I'd be sitting at the at the keyboard and tear, tears would be streaming down my face. Because the stories were so emotional. Sure. But let, let me tell you uh, one of the stories that, uh, one of the experiences I had that got me going and, okay. and got me thinking about this whole field and, and got me thinking about talking with doctors about spirituality. 
And it started in Cape Cod. Have you ever been to Cape Cod? I have. Uh, we go to a little town called Eastham uh, on a semi-regular basis, and our whole family loves it. We love the uh, we love the, the ocean. We love the seafood. We love the ambience. We love everything about Cape Cod. And, and this was a, a particularly special night. Uh, the whole family was there. We, and we have seven kids. I'm not sure, again, where they all came from. But we have seven kids. We now have nine grandkids. And everyone was there. It was one of those perfect evenings. Uh, if you can imagine the sun setting, the kids are playing in the yard, the girls are laughing and talking, the boys are sitting around preparing dinner. And we that you know, in, in when we go on vacation, we commonly have the boys cook, and we actually do a pretty good job. I'm surprised. And this particular evening, we'd gone to uh, a local store and, and uh, had purchased some pies for dessert. And they had a big stack of pies. And while we were there, we got to talking about our, our favorite pies. And uh, my mother uh, used to make a rhubarb pie. We had a rhubarb plant in our backyard. And every fall, she'd pick all the rhubarb uh, from the plant. It was a big plant. And she'd make rhubarb pies. And when we came to visit her, we would all sneak in, uh, sneak. I, I'm sure she knew we were sneaking. But we'd all sneak into the kitchen with spoons, all the kids and I. And we'd go at the pies without plates or anything, or dishes or anything. We'd just go and, and eat right out of the, the pan. And they were, it was the most delicious pie I've ever had, I, I think. Bet. It's a real sweet rhubarb pie. And we were thinking, my, my mom had died by this point. We were thinking about uh, how she would have loved to 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 been here, you know, with this with this family gathering. She was a very close family person. And uh, we thought it was too bad that, that uh, you know, she wasn't there. And we thought, you know, if we bought the pies, were, there were cherry pies. And we thought if she was there, she, she might think about making us a rhubarb pie. And we, you know, got a warm feeling inside thinking about that. And it was, again, you know, one of those special evenings. You just have to pinch yourself because it was just so perfect, a perfect family occasion. And we had a nice dinner. We made swordfish steaks on the grill, and we made had corn on the cob and baked potatoes, and it was really special. And then my wife served us the cherry pie for dessert, and um, I uh, put my fork in and, and put it into my mouth, and I got goosebumps uh, up and down my spine because the pie wasn't cherry. It was rhubarb. Wow. So, you know, I suppose you can explain that by saying at the at the factory or at the bakery, the they were making rhubarb pies and happened to stick one in the cherry pie mm -hmm. box or whatever. But to me, and I think to the rest of the family that was there, we, we knew that um, uh, I think that was my mom that, that was really spending the time with us. That's very sweet. So that's that's one of the things that got me going. I, I started thinking about, um, you know, maybe uh, uh, other people have had similar kinds of strange experiences. And and uh, about that time, um, one of the other doctors just happened to come to me, and we had breakfast. And his name is Steve Heim. And Steve's an orthopedic surgeon and a, and a, uh, uh, and a trauma surgeon. And uh, we were talking about an experience he had over the weekend. He was he was skiing in Colorado, and uh, he uh, and his wife and his wife's sister uh, went up to a, a, a back mountain that they'd never been on before, and uh, a blizzard hit when they hit the top of the mountain. So they had to ski down in this in this blizzard. The temperature dropped about 40 degrees, and and the snow was coming down and upside down and sideways and everything else. And they started skiing down the mountain, and they could hardly see anything in front of them. They came to a patch of trees, and they had to go to the right or the left. So uh, Steve decided to go to the right and expected the girls to follow him, my typical surgeon, I guess. Um, and uh, the girls went to the left. And so as soon as 
Dr. Heim discovered that, he decided to ski back through the trees to get to the other side. As he was skiing through the trees in five feet powder snow, he's an expert skier, he had this overwhelming feeling that there was something really seriously bad happening, that he was being called on to do some something, and he didn't know what. So he stopped skiing. And he stood there for a little bit, surprised at himself that he had stopped skiing, and, and everything became quiet. Uh, despite the wind blowing and the snow coming down, it became silent. And it was an eerie feeling. And uh, he took off his skis, and then he started to, uh, for no reason, started to climb up the mountain in the opposite direction of where the girls were waiting for him. And they were waiting for him on the other side of this grove of trees. Mm-hmm. And as he's climbing and, and walking and climbing and walking, and again, everything is just this, this eerie silence. And he came to a big pine tree, and, and uh, uh, when you have a, a, a large amount of snow, the, there's a like a tree well where the where the uh, snow comes down to the base of the tree. It makes like a like a bowl underneath the tree. And when he got, when he came to a large tree about uh, 100 feet from where he'd stopped, he suddenly realized why he was there. Wow, Scott and our listeners, we have to break for just a minute, but when we come back. We'll hear more. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. 
The internet is an extraordinary resource that links our children to a world of information, experiences, and ideas. It can also expose them to risk. Teach your children the basic safety rules of the virtual world. Our children are everything. Do everything for them. Hey, the Coast to Coast AM YouTube channel is waiting for you now. Go to coasttocoastam.com for more information. This is George Norrie, and you're listening to the new iHeartMedia and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network, heard on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we were discussing Physicians Untold Stories with Scott Kolbaba, MD. Scott, you were saying the doctor followed his instincts while skiing and stopped and looked down. He looked down, and there was a body underneath the tree covered with snow. Wow. Well, he's a trauma surgeon. What an ideal person. So he, he did what he's trained to do, and that is brush off the snow off the fellow's head and, and uh, see if he's alive. And he didn't look like he was alive. He thought he was dead. He had a gray face. Uh, it didn't look like he was breathing. But uh, again, with his training, he reached down for the carotid artery in the neck, and the, and the fellow had a pulse. He was alive. So he suddenly went into trauma mode. He, he brushed all the snow off, covered him with his two jackets that he had on. Uh, he put him, his head down a little bit. He started calling for help, help. One of the last skiers down the mountain heard his cry for help and came to his side. He said, what can I do? And Dr. Himes said, go to the nearest phone and call the ski patrol as soon as you can. So the skier took off, and about 20 minutes later, he could see the light from the uh, snowmobile and the pulling a gurney. And they came and picked up this unconscious, uh, shocky uh, skier, brought him down to the uh, waiting ambulance at the lodge, and took him off to the hospital. Steve then, you know, made it back to uh, the girls, and they skied down the mountain. Uh, they got a reward when they got to the lodge. They got a cup of hot chocolate as a reward. And the next day, uh, Dr. Heim called the hospital to find out what happened to the skier. And they said he was fine. He uh, woke up. He was, he, uh, was alive, well. Uh, Dr. Heim had splinted his leg in the field with a tree branch and some of his clothing. And, and the orthopedic surgeons were impressed with his splinting of his leg. And uh, he, he did really well. And when Dr. Heim uh, told me this story, he said, you know, if you don't believe that there's something else out there that looks after us, that loves us, uh, you, you, I don't know what you, what you believe. And uh, that convinced him that there was really something, something else. Now, he's not a religious person. He's very spiritual, but he doesn't go to church, and he's not that religious. But uh, uh, this was a moving experience for him, and I think uh, uh, probably changed, changed his attitude and changed his life. Uh, so... I heard that story, and I, I thought, I've got to talk to other doctors because they must have other stories, too. Sure. And when I, when I did, um, I, was, I was amazed that the, the doctors, many of the doctors, did have some incredible stories. And uh, that's what got me started on, on the book. And, and uh, the, the next thing I thought I'd do would be to meet with, you know, doctors are like barbers. They have uh, every, every uh, known um, occupation uh, that you can think of uh, uh, in my practice. So I, I had a, a publisher in my practice. So I decided to sit down with my publisher and and tell him some of these stories to see if they really he really thought that they were worth publishing. Uh, 
because I didn't know. You know, these sound, these are pretty incredible stories to me. But you know, how how does it play to the rest of the world sure. and to an experienced person that that is in the publishing business? So he was glad to sit down with me. We had lunch and. Um, I was telling him these stories and eating and telling him stories. I was pretty hungry at the time. And I actually didn't look up uh, for a, a, a few stories. I just was, you know, relating the stories and eating. And after a couple of stories, I looked up and he had tears in his eyes. Oh. And I thought, oh, my goodness, maybe there is something to these stories. And so he said, you have to publish this. So that's that's when I really became serious and, and uh, started to interview doctors and then uh, stay up late at night with the blurry eyes and and uh, write the write the stories, and uh, that's and then it became the book. I have the feeling this will be the first of many books. What's great is the book contains all short stories, so anyone can just read a few pages and be filled with inspiration. It, it was it was fun to get get these stories, and you know I'm kind of a um, type A personality. I, I uh, can't spend much time. Uh, maybe I'm, I've got ADD or something. I can't spend much time at one thing. So it was fun to be able to, you know, digest one or two stories and then, and then uh, I move on. And, and uh, uh, so that, and they're all different. They're all unusual. And, and what was, what's been interesting for me, uh, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a pretty busy guy. I've got a busy practice. I've got seven kids I take care of. I bet you are busy. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I don't get a chance to read much, but after the book came out, uh, I started, you know, listening to other stories and other people's books and so forth. And it was amazing to me to find that many of these stories are similar to, to the experiences other people have had. And uh, I was, I was, I was shocked. And, and so it makes you believe that there's something else out there that uh, intervenes in our lives in similar ways in, in many people. Right. Scott, your book is divided into four parts, divine intervention, death and the afterlife, healing and prayer. Would you share some of your stories from the death and the afterlife section? One of my favorite is um, about Grandma Hanlon. Uh, Grandma Hanlon uh, was a, uh, uh, a grandmother of one of the doctor's wives, Joan Heitzler. And Dr. Heitzler is a gynecologist. As a matter of fact, he delivered a couple of our kids. and. Um, uh, Grandma Hanlon was born in Ireland when the uh, Irish uh, were having the battles between the Protestants and the Catholics. And uh, her uh, Grandma Hanlon's father would um, frequently put priests and other Catholics uh, in secret rooms in their house and hide them. And it was a dangerous time. So uh, Grandma Hanlon's father decided to send little Grandma Hanlon um, to the United States to, to live and grow up. And she did, and, and uh, she became a midwife, delivering babies, and um, she became the spiritual leader for the family. She would deliver babies, and if and she would stay with the, the, the mother for about six weeks to help with the, the care of the baby and let the mother recover. And um, if the mother could, if the family couldn't afford to pay her, she would take nothing. She would just do it for nothing. She um, was incredibly uh, spiritual. She would go downtown uh, to Chicago on the train. When she came across people that were begging, she would always give them money or food or something. And people used to laugh at her because they'd say, you know, if you give money to those people, they'll just use it for alcohol. And she would say back, uh, God wants me to help those people any way I can. And uh, what they do with the money is, is their thing. Mm. So uh, she uh, they had a very successful career. As she got older, uh, she uh, had to uh, live with uh, Joan, uh, the my gynecologist's uh, uh, wife, 
and uh, she lived in their house for for a, a long time. She um, uh, lived there when Joan was a little girl, and she used to say, "If uh, I could," Joan used to say, "If I could make it to Grandma Hanlon's lap, if I got in trouble, I know I'd be safe." And so she had a very special love, very loving relationship, an incredibly uh, loving relationship with her grandma Hanlon. Well, Joan was delivering her fifth child, uh, and her husband, the gynecologist, was there, and everyone's fluttering around because they want to do a good job for the gynecologist's wife. And uh, her, uh, his partner was there doing the delivery, and they did, did a successful delivery. But afterwards, Joan began to have some pain, so they decided to give her what was the treatment of choice in those days, trilene. It's a anesthetic that you put uh, by mask over your, over your mouth and uh, the woman goes to sleep. So um, uh, the nurse was ready to start uh, administering trilene to, to Joan uh, after the delivery and uh, all of a sudden Grandma Hanlon comes into the room. Uh, she's dressed in her typical little uh, tiny blue polka dot dress. She has a um, sweater vest on. She has uh, her hair up in the bun. It's all white and hair up in the bun. She's wearing a little grandmother shoes. Mm-hmm. And she stands at the foot of the bed and she shakes her head. No, Joan, you, you shouldn't uh, use a trilene. So Joan saw her, pushed the, the mask away and said, no, I'll put up with the pain. Let's just go ahead and get the, you know, finish, finish everything you need to finish. And uh, it's interesting that uh, uh, no one realized that Joan had eaten a large meal right before the delivery. And uh, within about a minute or so of, of pushing the mask away, Joan vomited the entire meal up. Had she had the mask on and been unconscious, she would have aspirated, then she could have lost her life because of an aspiration pneumonia. It would have been very serious. So Joan uh, said that she made it to Grandma Hanlon's lap one last time transcending time and eternity because Grandma Hanlon had died 22 years before. Wow. That's very special. Scott, can you tell the story of the man who heard music in the emergency room? That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, there's a uh, individual, uh, Cleveland was his name. It's a, I, I made up some names. Cleveland was, was uh, uh, an older gentleman, grandfather, who had a surgery, uh, and uh, the surgery was to connect an artery and a vein in his uh, arm. And uh, when he went home, everything was fine, but then all of a sudden uh, a stitch broke loose and the uh, the blood started spurting out of his arm. And uh, before uh, he realized it, he was uh, getting weaker and weaker. His wife called the uh, paramedics. They came, he became unconscious, and uh, was brought immediately to the emergency room. There, uh, it was quite a sight, must have been quite a sight. The paramedics straddling uh, him, blood spurting out of his arm, doing CPR. The whole place was bloody, a bloody mess. And uh, uh, the uh, ER doc uh, took over and, and uh, they had to make a decision. He had no blood pressure, no pulse, uh, finally, and, and uh, was, was shocky. And his hemoglobin must have been near zero. And uh, they decided that, you know, we're going to go for it. We're going to see if we can save them. And so they transfused six units of, of blood. Uh, and they were squeezing the blood in as quickly as they could. Uh, and after a little bit, the uh, uh, he came to. And uh, I, I was, uh, quite a you know, maybe a number of hours, but he, he, he woke up. And the first thing he said was, um, um, I, I love that, that beautiful music that you play in the ER. And uh-huh. Was uh, you know the instruments and the uh, it was some unusual instruments I I've never heard that before, and the ER doc said uh, Cleveland 
we don't play music in the emergency room. So um, the uh, think, thinking is that, uh, and he went on to explain, you know, when, when he um, heard the music, he went, was in a special room. He wanted to move back to that room that was all white, beautiful, uh, and, and gave him a, a very good, warm feeling. And so the ER doc concluded that, uh, you know, he must have been somewhere else. And uh, uh, the only thing they could think of was he must have been in heaven. Yeah, that's so great. There's another story, Scott, that really touched me about a woman that while she was unconscious, she witnessed someone walking into the room and other things. Yeah, that was a good one. That was one of the first stories I heard. As a matter of fact, let me tell you the background of that story. I was on the floor uh, making rounds, and one of my uh, colleagues, Dave Mokel, who's a prominent orthopedic surgeon, came running up to me, grabbed me, and said, Scott, I've got to tell you this incredible story. I said, well, go ahead. And he said, well, I can't tell it to you here. And I said, well, why not? Well, someone might hear it. <laughs> so he said, let's go into an empty patient room. So we went into an empty patient room. He closed the door. And he said, you know, I, I wanted to tell you a story about this, a mutual patient, that Mary, uh, that, that we had together. And um, he said, you know, uh, I was operating on Mary's ankle. We had put her to sleep, um, and we administered some, some antibiotic to her. All of a sudden, she arrested flatlined, no respirations, no pulse, eyes closed. She was basically dead. So we started CPR. When they do CPR, when they start, uh, when they do a code in the operating room, what happens is many people from the other operating rooms kind of come into the room to help out. And there was an individual that came in that had shockingly red hair underneath his uh, uh, cap. We'll be back in just a minute to hear more. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now, the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. 
if you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, 2020 has been quite a year, and most of us are glad it's almost over. Live shows all over have been brought to a halt, but it's only a matter of time before they're back. Make sure and go to the coasttocoastam.com website under our events section for the latest updates on live theater shows, expos, and more. Go now to coasttocoastam.com. That's coasttocoastam.com. At ParanormalDate.com, you meet the most fantastic people. Hi, I'm Tom. Hi, I'm Jennifer. What brings you here? Yeah, I'm here to meet someone who understands me. How so? Well, I'm into UFOs, ghosts, aliens, Bigfoot, conspiracy theories, the paranormal, that kind of stuff. But can't seem to find anyone who gets it. Oh, well, um, nice to meet you, Tom. I, I gotta go. Uh, okay. Guess that's not your cup of tea. You sure? Very. Good luck with that. I can't meet anyone when I'm out, and I really can't find a website for my unique interests. What is one to do? Have you thought about ParanormalDate.com? Para what dot what? Who are you? I'm a paranormal matchmaker, and it's ParanormalDate.com. It's a website for people looking for people like them. Stuff you like, remember? Interesting. Uh, I'll give it a try. Well, let's try this again. Uh, hi, I'm Tom. Hey, I'm Deb. Your profile on ParanormalDate.com looked very interesting. So you really saw a UFO? Well, yeah. It was so intense, but not as intense as meeting you. You're an alien chasing flirt, but I kind of like it. Wow, this ParanormalDate.com thing really works. Maybe ParanormalDate.com is for you. People with an interest in things they hear on George's show find their match daily. So if you're looking for that special someone... With an interest in UFOs, ghosts, aliens, Bigfoot, conspiracy theories, and, of course, the paranormal. Come to the dating site inspired by George Norrie. It's always free to search, and if you decide to upgrade to our amazing new features, use promo code GEORGE for a great discount. ParanormalDate.com. You are not alone. Hey, it's producer Tom of Coast to Coast AM, and you're listening to Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain on the new iHeartMedia and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't forget, you can listen to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and I'm with Dr. Scott Kolbaba, and he's telling the story of a lady who flatlined on an operating table. She was basically dead, so we started CPR. When they do CPR, when they start, uh, when they do a code in the operating room, what happens is many people from the other operating rooms are going to come into the room to help out. And there was an individual that came in that had shockingly red hair underneath his uh, uh, cap. And it's a surgical cap. And so he started to do CPR on Mary. And uh, uh, Dr. Mokul, who's in charge of the code, uh, was checking for a pulse, and there was no pulse. So he wasn't doing CPR adequately enough. So he asked the fellow to step aside. He wanted to take over. Well, the ind- individual didn't step aside. And Dave, uh, Dr. Mokul uh, said a couple times, you know, step aside. I'd like to take over. 
And so finally, when he didn't step aside, you know, codes are life and death situations. If you're in charge, you have to make sure that you're doing all the right things to make sure that person has the best care possible. So he actually moved up and pushed the fellow aside and and started to do CPR. And this individual with the red hair stumbled away and and, uh, Dr. Mokul took over. And by that point, uh, he was able to get a a good uh, uh, perfusion. They gave her her some medications and and she came around again, was not conscious, but her heart started and and she, she came too. And so she was moved to the intensive care unit where she woke up the next day. Now, when she was leaving the hospital three or four days later, they, they found that what had happened to her was that she arrested from the, from the antibiotic that was given, and she was otherwise fine. And when Dr. Mulka was giving her the final instructions to, to leave, she said, thank you for saving my life. And Dr. Mulka's a pretty humble individual. He said, well, thank you. It was a team effort, you know. And then mm-hmm. she said, no, no, no. I saw you. Uh, you saved my life. And um, she said, I saw the, the person with the red hair doing CPR, and then I saw you push him away. And by this point, Dr. Mokel got a little weak kneed and had to sit down sure. uh, because, you know, he, he's trying to figure out some scientific explanation for what she's saying. And she went on to tell him all the great details of what happened during the code that he had paged me. Uh, I wasn't in the hospital, but he kept looking at the door to see if I was coming and uh, a whole host of little tiny uh, minutia that you wouldn't expect a person to know unless they were actually there. And Dr. Moko said, well, what, what happened? And she said, when, when I coded, when I, when I arrested, I went up to the top of the room and I had this out-of-body experience that I was witnessing the entire, entire code. And at the time, my grandmother came to me and she said, uh, my grandmother who had died a number of years before, and she said it wasn't my time to go, that I would have to, I would come back, but that I needed to be a kind and gentle person. And if, if I was, then there would be a special place for her in heaven. Now, Mary uh, was kind of a curmudgeon. She was uh, before this arrest. She was a, not a nice person in many cases. She was okay. But afterwards, she was the kindest and nicest person for the rest of her life. She didn't live that long because she had a number of other medical problems. She lived probably two or three more years. But during that time, she was kind and gentle to her widowed father. She was, uh, every time I saw her in the office, it was a joy to see her. And she made a total transformation. And uh, uh, Dr. Mokul, uh, you know, couldn't explain uh, this scientifically. And, and he said, I said to him, you know, who did you tell this to, Dave? And, and he said, no one. Uh, they'd think I was crazy. Right. But, but I needed to tell you, I needed to tell someone. So I thought, I thought I'd tell you. He finally agreed to have the story in the book. But that was an amazing story and an amazing turnaround. It reminded me of the Christmas Carol where uh, Scrooge, you know, made an amazing turnaround just like uh, Mary did. And so I called it the Christmas, Mary's Christmas Carol. I've spoken to many people who have had near-death experiences, and the turnaround in their attitude is tremendous. Many of them make their lives about doing good and helping others, and they're very inspiring people. If you are looking for a gift to give yourself, you may consider Physician's Untold Stories by our guest, Dr. Scott Kolbaba, with 27 doctors coming together with these stories that give you goosebumps. There is no way not to be comforted, be inspired, have hope and faith in the afterlife and the bigger picture of life as you read it. Dr. Scott, thank you for doing the work you're doing and having the courage to share these stories. Well, it was my hope, uh, Sandy, that that uh, people would uh, receive some hope from these stories. You know, when you write a book, you never quite know 
the whole, uh, you know, the, the, when, you, when you put all the stories together, uh, a book takes on a life of its own. And I think one of the take-home lessons that I tried to, to achieve, and I think we have, is that there's something else out there. There's, there's, a, there's a force. There's Most of the doctors, myself, call it God, but you can call it what you want, uh, that loves us unconditionally, that participates in our lives, and that people that have gone before can participate in our lives also. They can, they can help us in positive ways. And uh, some of the doctors actually count on uh, uh, these miracles to help them with their with their practice. You don't often hear about doctors believing in God and miracles and making a difference for them and their practice. In fact, Scott, you hear just the opposite. We rarely hear from doctors about the afterlife, and I think a lot of people think that doctors don't believe. That's true. And, and, you know, when I first started talking to doctors, I wasn't sure that they would allow me to publish these amazing stories. Right. They, again, they don't tell these stories to, to anyone uh, or very, very few people. And so I, I thought to myself, you know, why would, why would these doctors uh, allow me to take their amazing stories that they don't tell anyone for fear of being criticized and, and publish them? And I, I, I came up with a couple explanations. And, and uh, one is, you know, I think they I've been around for a long time. Uh, I, I know all of these doctors and some of them I've known for 30 and 40 years. And so I think they trust me to, to, to tell us their story in a, in a uh, uh, truthful way and, and, and not uh, skew it in any way. The real reason, though, I think that the doctors allowed me to publish these stories is one of the things I, I, I mentioned in the book, and that is many doctors, and, and, and I can say that for personally all the doctors in this book, are what I call sappy do-gooders. <laughs> That's a funny term, sappy do-gooders. Sappy do-gooders. And, you know, uh, when you go to medical school, when you start uh, apply to medical school, you have to write up an article about uh, why you want to be a doctor. And, and everyone writes, I want to save the world and cure cancer and all these kinds of things. And you know, uh, the doctors that I talk with, and, and most doctors still have the same uh, aspirations to, to save the world, to do good in the world. And I, and every day and help someone every, every day. And, and uh, when I, when I collected these stories, uh, I think the doctors had an overwhelming uh, desire to let people know that there's something else out there, to give them some hope. And I think that desire of being a sappy do-gooder was, was, was greater than the risk that they took. And it's a substantial risk that people would criticize them for having these unusual stories of dreams and premonitions and visions and things like that, that you don't talk about, that you don't expect an ordinary routine doctor to have, but they do. So I think it was their desire to help people uh, be comforted. It's a tough life. There's th bad things that happen in this life. And I, I think if people know that there's something else out there, that doctors know that there's something else out there that looks out for them, that loves them unconditionally, they'll be able to face the, the problems in their life a lot easier and have hope. And, and that's what I was hoping to, to get from this book, to give people hope that there is something else. Scott, I'd love to see you talk about your book on mainstream news, TV shows and radio shows, and, and that would lead to patients opening up the conversation with their doctors, saying things like, have you seen this book? Do you have any miraculous stories? That would give the doctors confidence as a sappy do-gooder to share their stories. Yeah, that was my other hope, that, that, that this would open up a conversation with patients and doctors, because, you know... Uh, healing takes place not just with drugs and medicine. Healing takes place with hands-on, with love, and um, 
uh, sometimes uh, in strange ways that we can't explain. And uh, I think if people have uh, hope and if they have uh, uh, if they have positive attitude, that makes a huge difference for all kinds of illnesses, including cancers and all the bad things that, that people can get. Yes. Would you share from the third part of your book a story of healing? Sure. Uh, there's, uh, there's a particularly good one. Um, there's a lady. This is uh, uh, a lady in, in uh, Wheaton uh, that um, – uh, Barbara's her name, and uh, Barbara uh, gave me permission to mention her name and, and to tell the story. And it's interesting that um, I'll tell you a little bit about the background of this. Uh, I, I had her story from her doctor, and uh, I just needed to get her permission to publish it and get her ideas on, on some of the details. And I had written her a letter where I thought she was because it was hard. This happened about 20 years ago or, or, or more. And so it was hard to find her. And uh, I, I really couldn't locate her in, in the country. And I had all kinds of search services and so forth that I, that I purchased to find people that, that uh, needed to give their permission. And so I had to turn the manuscript into the publisher. And uh, I had to take her story out because I couldn't, I couldn't contact her. Well, all of a sudden... Uh, several days before I had to turn the manuscript in, I get a phone call. And who is it? It's Barbara. She said, I thought I, I had a feeling I needed to call you. I got your letter, you know, uh, six months ago. Wow. And I've been sitting on it. And uh, I just thought I'd, I'd call you today. And it gave me goosebumps when I got the phone call because I could therefore include her story in, in the book. And uh, she was delighted to, to have it. And, and, and you know, why she called me at that time, uh, you can only guess. Uh, um, I, I, I know the reason, but uh, uh, it was very interesting that that was a, a coincidental uh, finding that probably wasn't a coincidence at all. Right. Anyway, her story is that she had multiple sclerosis, and uh, she had uh, gotten progressively more uh, disabled with multiple sclerosis. Uh, she was uh, uh, having trouble seeing, affected her vision. She had a tracheostomy uh, in place uh, so she could oxygen uh, right directly into her lungs. Uh, she had, was having, having, having trouble breathing. She had a collapsed lung and a paralyzed diaphragm. Uh, she uh, had wore braces on her legs because she couldn't uh, uh, move very well, and, and by this point, she couldn't walk. She was getting recurrent infections in her lungs because uh, she couldn't uh, take deep breaths and couldn't ventilate. And so uh, Dr. Marshall, who was the doctor take, taking care of her at the time, decided that it was time to think about hospice. And hospice is a program where you, uh, uh, are, uh, you, you the doctor certifies that you have less than six months to live. And it's a wonderful, wonderful, loving program. And so she was entered into the hospice. Her pastor saw her. Pastor Bailey saw her for what he thought was the last time, uh, said a prayer with her, and didn't expect her to, to live longer than a week or two. And uh, at the time, uh, there was a uh, radio show that uh, told stories about people that needed uh, was requesting were requesting prayers. So uh, this radio show aired, uh, and uh, there were thousands and thousands of people that that said prayers, and they sent letters too. And uh, when when uh, uh, Barbara was was uh, you know lying in, in bed and, and and pretty much near the end, uh, the aunt her aunt brought in a, a, a bag of letters uh, from these people that had said prayers for her. Scott, we need to take a quick break, and you can tell us what happens with Barbara. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. 
Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Twenty twenty is almost behind us, and yet for some of us, there's still so much to be thankful for. For others, not so much. Help your local charity or food bank with a donation so others can have a great holiday season as well. The Coast to Coast AM mobile app is here and waiting for you right now. With the app, you can hear classic shows from the past seven years, listen to the current live show, and get access to the Art Bell Vault where you can listen to uninterrupted audio. So head on over to the coasttocoastam.com website. We have a handy video guide to help you get the most out of your mobile app usage. All the info is waiting for you now at coasttocoastam.com. That's coasttocoastam.com. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain on the new iHeartMedia and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And don't forget, you can listen to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we're with Dr. Scott Kolbaba, and he's sharing a story about a poor woman named Barbara with not too much time left to live, and she gets a huge bag filled with letters of prayers. And it was a huge bag. She had trouble carrying it, and, and at the same time, there were a couple of people visiting from church, and Barbara all of a sudden uh, heard something that no one else heard. And the words were something like, uh, my, my daughter, uh, uh, 
get up and walk. And she, uh, it was a, it was a, a strange command. And she immediately moved over to the edge of the bed, stood up, took her braces off, took her oxygen off, and she started to walk. In fact, she walked into the uh, living room where her parents were totally surprised and, and uh, amazed. The physical therapist that was there couldn't believe it. She kept saying, you can't, you can't do this, you can't do this. And she started to dance. She did a ballet for, the, wow. for the, her parents. They uh, hugged her. Everyone had tears in their eyes, and they couldn't believe that, that she was totally cured. The next night uh, was the um, uh, church service, uh, the routine church service that they have at night for her church. And uh, she had no clothes to wear because she had been ill for so long that they had gotten rid of all of her clothes, and she just had pajamas and things like that. So she was late for the church service because she had to find some, a dress to wear from the right. neighbor. So uh, the, whole, the church service was going on. The pastor, Pastor Bailey, was at the front of the, the church, and he was uh, giving some announcements. And in walks Barbara and uh, strolls down the center aisle, and, and there were whispers all over the church. There's Barbara. There's Barbara. I thought she was going to die. I oh, thought she was you know, uh, uh, sick. Pastor Bailey lost his voice. He couldn't say anything. He was so shocked. And spontaneously, everyone in the congregation started to sing Amazing Grace. Can you imagine? Wow. Walking down the center aisle, Amazing Grace being sung spontaneously by the, by the, the parishioners. And then she walked to the front of the, the church. Uh, Pastor Bailey finally was able to get his <laughs> voice back. And he said, Barbara, tell, tell us your story. This is amazing. And so she was totally cured. The next day, she went to her doctor, Dr. Marshall. They took out her tubes, and um, she uh, was, was totally cured from, from her illness. Uh, she's lived another 25 or so years. She now is married to a pastor, and her goal in life is to do good and, and to help people, like she's been helped. And she's thriving and doing very well uh, right now. That's an amazing story of, of healing and uh, uh, the power of, of uh, prayer. Miracles are most definitely possible, and prayer is so powerful. The last story I had read in your book, Scott, was about a fellow named Bob who was in a coma. Do you mind talking about that one? There's many of us who have had our loved ones pass when they are in a state that they can no longer speak to us. My dad had cancer in the last days of his life. He was so drugged up because of the pain he was in. But I continued to speak to him, as did my siblings, trusting a part of him could hear our words. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's what this story is about. This is a story about two doctors that were friends. And the one thing, what, what they had in common was fishing. They both love fishing. Um, John Messett uh, is uh, uh, my gynecologic friend who's now retired. And um, Bob Cornell, his friend, uh, they used to meet in the morning in the doctor's lounge. And the doctor's lounge has lots of wonderful things like coffee and donuts and great things to eat that are very healthy like that. Mm -hmm. So they used to meet in the morning and they'd tell fishing stories. And then they'd tell stories about their families and other things. But they loved to talk about fishing. And so every morning uh, before rounds, they would get together and they'd share fishing stories. But one day, Bob Cornell didn't show up. He was uh, admitted to the hospital with a massive stroke. And he was in a deep coma. Uh, the intensivist in the uh, ICU felt that uh, he was basically uh, brain dead and would not come around. And they decided to watch him for a couple days, maybe three days. And then he told uh, my friend, Dr. Messett, who was uh, there, that if he didn't come around, they would uh, pull the tubes and, and let, him, let him die. So uh, 
Dr. Messett was very uh, upset and very concerned and, and wanted to do something. And he didn't know what he could do. He was, you know, being taken care of intensively, but he had that feeling just like you, Sandy, that he needed to uh, talk to him. So he looked around to make sure no one else was in the little cubicle uh, that was in the intensive care unit. And he moved his chair close up, up to Bob's face. And Bob was in a deep coma. He, couldn't res- he didn't respond to anything. And uh, John, uh, Dr. Messett started to tell him stories. He t- he t- the stories he told were, were his fishing stories. And he, is, uh, he told him a story that he'd never told before about fishing in the um, Mackenzie River in, in Canada. And they flew in, and, and uh, it was an amazing experience because the, 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 the river was full of fish, uh, graylings they're called. And um, they could throw pretty much anything into the water, and a grayling would bite on it. And, and uh, Dr. Messett said at the end of the day, he had sore arms from reeling in so many graylings. It was a catch-and-release uh, uh, proposition. And um, he thought that was a, a great story. And every day, he'd tell him a little piece of that story and, and uh, additional stories. And the third day, when Bob was going to die, uh, uh, Dr. Messett went into the uh, ICU with a heavy heart. And uh, uh, it was sad that that was the day that they were going to take the tubes out and, and that uh, Bob would, would die. Mm-hmm. And when he walked into the room, when he walked into the ICU, he saw his room was empty. Uh, the light was off. The bed was stripped. And he thought he must have died the night before. And he was, you know, he was sad that he had missed him, that he, that he didn't get a chance to say goodbye to him uh, the last day. So he talked to the nurse and he said, you know, when, when did Bob die? And she laughed. <laughs> and that upset Dr. Messett, obviously, of course. Uh, until she said, until he, he realized why she was laughing. And she, she said, well, he woke up yesterday. He went, to, you know, he was so good. He went down to the uh, step down unit and uh, he's, he's going to be fine. And uh, so Dr. Messett was, was thrilled. He finally caught up with him. Uh, he had, was transferred to a, a rehabilitation hospital, finally caught up to him in the doctor's lounge again a few weeks later. Uh, where uh, uh, Bob Cornell uh, said uh, in a, he had a, a stroke, so he had some stuttering speech and he couldn't speak really well. And he said, John, thank, thank you. You were the only person who talked with me, and I loved your stories. I loved the story about the Grayling and Mackenzie River. Oh. That was one you never told me before. And I look forward to having you come every day and tell me those stories. And John... Nesset, the, the doctor that told him the stories, uh, thought to himself, you know, there, you, you wonder if there's a time when people have a choice of leaving the earth or staying. And if they cross that bridge or cross that river or whatever, uh, if that's their decision. And he wondered if his stories had any influence on whether Bob stayed or, or left. We'll never know. But we do know that Bob Cornell was in a deep coma and, and heard those stories clearly and those gave him joy and hope and may have saved his life. I love that story. Oh, I do too. Scott, I've been studying all about the afterlife for many years now. And people often ask, what are the books that made the biggest difference with me? And I have to say your book, Physicians Untold Stories, is one of those books that I can wholeheartedly recommend. I'm so proud of you for writing it and for going for it. And if there's someone listening right now willing to share this episode or mention it to someone who has had a loved one pass or is dealing with health issues or a fear of dying, please do. There are lots of other stories. And uh, since I've written the book, 
I've had lots of other people come up to me and, and say, you know, I've got I've got a story like that too. And so I think the next book is going to be Nurses, Nurses Untold Stories, because they have some amazing stories also. And I've heard some from the nurses that uh, have, have looked at my book. And, you know, people are feeling freer about coming out with these stories now that they've that, that they're in a book. And so I'm getting stories that people haven't told to anyone. And uh, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun to get those stories. Great idea. And definitely talk to some hospice nurses. They have some amazing stories of what they've witnessed. Scott, what haven't I asked you that you would still like to share? Part of the book uh, that that uh, I enjoyed writing was, you know, uh, doctors don't talk to each other in, in spiritual ways. And, 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 you know, we don't talk about what makes you tick and, and why you went into medicine and things like that. We talk about uh, patients and surgeries and, uh, you know, what, what are you going on? Where are you going on vacation? Things like that. But I when you when you get into some of these deep stories, you also find out what makes doctors tick and, and, and why they do what they do. And uh, I included that section in the book, too. It's, uh, it's on, on what, what I learned about doctors that people don't tend to know. And uh, let me just tell you a few of those uh, simple stories. One is uh, uh, a fellow by the name of Andy Rao, who's a cardiologist in Elmhurst Hospital here in the Chicagoland area. And, I, and Andy and I were talking about the weather and about uh, you know just the things of life, uh, patients and so forth. And I happened to mention to him that I had a um, – uh, I, we were doing some adoption work at the time, and, and we found out about this little girl in Romania that was up for adoption but would never be adoptable because she had burned her feet. What happened was in the orphanage, she was cold at night, and she was sitting next to a space heater with her plastic shoes on. And the plastic shoes that got too close to the space heater while she was asleep, they melted on her feet and caused tremendous burns and, and deformity of her feet, and she couldn't walk, and she may never be able to walk. And uh, unless she had multiple operations, and I said, you know, to Andy uh, at the time, you know, it's, it's just too bad uh, that uh, no one's going to be able to adopt her. And about a week later, I got a call, uh, and it was Andy, Andy Rell. And he said, we'd like to take her. Oh. I said, well, what, what do you mean? He said, well, we'd like to adopt her, that little girl you talked about. And I said, Andy, you don't know anything about her. She could have all kinds of medical problems that you don't realize. Are you sure? And he said, yeah. We have enough means, uh, we have insurance, and uh, we have a great family, and we'd like to bring her uh, into our, our family, make her part of our lives, and we think we can help her to become uh, what, what might be a normal person. And I said, are you sure? And he said, absolutely. Oh. Unfortunately, uh, the girl had been uh, asked, had been uh, spoken for uh, just a couple days before by some other family that adopted her. So Dr. Rao didn't end up adopting her. But that's the kind of thing that um, initially surprised me when in talking with doctors. But but uh, that uh, that's more common than I realized, that doctors are a bunch of sappy do-gooders. Scott, what's the ultimate goal for the book? I think the goal is to give people hope and to help them realize there's something else out there that loves us and uh, and that everyone has these experiences. If you just pay attention and believe, you can realize that some of the strange coincidences that you may have had may not be coincidental at all. And that's what the goal is, uh, to help people realize that and to get some hope in this world. Pay attention and believe. Dr. Scott Kolbaba, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thanks, Andy. It's been fun. And listeners, I ask that you give yourself the gift of believing today. Whether it's a holiday, a birthday, or a special occasion, include your loved ones, the loved ones you can see and the loved ones you cannot see. 
I want to remind you of the Einstein quote just one more time. How are you going to live your life? Is nothing a miracle or is everything a miracle? I'm Sandra Champlain, and you've been listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. You've been listening to Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. For shows like this and others, please make sure to tune into the new iHeartMedia and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Like us on Facebook, tell your friends, and share us with everyone.